Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and I'm so glad to be here with Carolyn Shadle. She is the CEO of Interpersonal Communication Services, Inc. that's located in La Jolla, California. Carolyn and I have been friends for many, many years, and I am so honored to have you here, Carolyn, on Why Do Pets Matter? Well, my pleasure. Well, we always start Why Do Pets Matter with that question, why do pets matter to you, Carolyn? So why don't you fill us in? Well, you know, besides having pets as a child, which, were, which was very satisfying, I think the real impact on how pets matter hit me when I was a young camp uh, director, and I had a young child at the camp who was very troubled and very troublesome. And one day, I saw him over at one of the lodges, sitting on the porch, talking to a pet rabbit that we had in a cage. And it was the first time I had seen him calm. And then I realized that the pet does not talk back. The pet does not argue. He is bonding with that pet, with that rabbit. And it hit me so hard that it's ne I've never forgotten how much animals can communicate and allow us to communicate with them. So fast forward, I've had an opportunity to meet lots of people with pets and lots of veterinarians who take care of the, their pets. And I also am particularly aware of the impact that pets have in hospitals and senior settings, which didn't used to be true. In fact, I can remember going to a meeting some maybe 30 years ago when they were talking about the first opportunity to bring animals into a, a, I think it was probably a senior care center. And there were great objections from the health department and on and on and on, but they were able to demonstrate how, how effective it was having these pets among the residents. The blood pressure went down, people went off meds, they were calmer, they were more satisfied. And Recently, actually, I went back and did the Human Animal Bond Certificate Program, which didn't tell me anything I didn't know, except that it's wonderful to, to read the research. And there's been so much research lately, I mean, in the last five, 10 years, that documents these wonderful impacts that pets have on human life. So, yeah, it's not just my experience, but now what I'm reading from other people, it's just been terrific. That is such a great story, and I want to take us back a little bit, because when you observed the little boy who was a little troublesome and a little bit of a troublemaker, um, mm -hmm. you know, sort of telling his troubles, 
we're using a lot of troubles here, um, to the rabbit. The rabbit was there not judging him, not telling him he was wrong. It's sort of like my mediation background, listening without judgment and appreciating how somebody feels. I think that's why pets matter to us so much because that's exactly what they do. They listen to us. They don't judge us. They don't tell us, well, Carolyn, you know, that's really stupid to think that way. No, they listen to us. And I don't know about you, but when I talk to my animals, they actually do answer me because I then say to myself, well, maybe I'm being a little overreactive and maybe you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought. And it turns out that they are talking to me intuitively. Maybe. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a form of media, uh, meditation and it's, it takes you out of yourself and you're able to let something come into you which may be in the form of your pet, but it's, it's, it's thinking that you wouldn't otherwise be thinking. Yeah. Exactly. It was, Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I'm just going to say um, the fact that anytime you can talk to somebody and not have to have them tell you what to do or judge what you're saying gives you the opportunity to go on and think for yourself. And that can be when you're talking to your own pet or when you're taking a walk any number of times when you just get out of yourself and you get a chance to think out loud or think, think without somebody coming back and answering your thoughts and telling you what you should be thinking or how to solve this or how to communicate about that. We have a lot of resources within ourselves and sometimes we don't get a chance to use them because somebody else wants to solve our problems for us. I know. And, and you know what? Um, in my practice for mediation, it is the hardest thing I have to do when someone says to me, well, Deborah, what should we do? And I go, I can tell you six things I do. I said, but that's really not the solution to your problem. It's the solution to my idea of what your problem is. And I guess well, that's what the bunny solved for him. The bunny was listening to his problem and helping him solve it. I think that's a real dilemma for veterinarians and that's the audience that I'm working with now because they are experts and people come in and want the answer and very often they are the one that has the answer but in fact the veterinarian has to take time to listen to the whole story first and wait until people are ready to hear the answer assuming that the veterinary veterinarian has the answer so that listening part is, is just crucial. We often forget that, especially when people tempt us to skip over that and just give us the answer. And remaining silent and listening is the hardest thing. And for me, remaining silent and letting Carolyn Carol, carry on, my client or my, you know, the veterinarian with their, their patient, allowing them time to gather their thoughts. They'll say something and then silence is such a hard thing to navigate because mm -hmm. you think you have to fill the silence. Mm -hmm. And as you and I have talked about a lot, filling the silence sometimes is not as effective as maintaining the silence. Well, it's that pause that can be so valuable, but we're all a little uncomfortable with the, the quiet and we want to fill it. <laughs> and I guess we just have to learn that if I don't fill it, the other person will fill it. And I'll probably learn a lot from the other person if I just take the time to let that person finally fill the, the void. So when you're teaching your classes um, with the interpersonal communication services 
programs that you have, because I know you have so many, and you go all around the country giving these talks to veterinarians, vet techs, anyone really in the pet service space and beyond. But for this, the purposes of this podcast, we talk about pet service places. Um, what is it that you um, try to wrap up? We talked at the beginning about the three things that we were going to give to the audience today and um, why is... Um, interpersonal skills so important or why are they so important and the benefits of learning them um, and then the how-to skills. So let's let's take a minute and, and talk about why interpersonal skills, especially when you're talking about animals, be it with a veterinarian or with your neighbor and your barking dog. Why are those interpersonal skills so important? Well, you know, the veterinarian has spent a lot of time and continues to spend a lot of time understanding the medical and healthcare issues around the pet. And that's, that's why people come to the veterinarian. But I think there's a growing understanding that if I, if I as the veterinarian don't have the opportunity and take the time to listen to my client, I may miss something that's important in the story. So let's say, for example, um, the client comes in and says, oh, I'm really upset because Fluffy isn't going up the stairs like he used to. He's having a hard time. And so the veterinarian maybe jump in to something about arthritis or let's do a test or whatever. Um, when in fact, if the vet just says, well, tell me more, say more about that, um, or just be silent unless the, the client fill in, the client might say, well, you know, we went camping last week and my husband dropped the stove as we were putting it into the truck and it fell on Fluffy. And, you know, I never thought about that, but it was right after that that he had a hard time going up the stairs. Ah, okay, that's a whole other picture. And if the veterinarian doesn't take the time to let that person tell the story, it missed something. So part of it is, is getting the kind of information you need to, to make a good diagnosis. But the other piece is just building trust. And the more a pet owner can talk about their, their pet, the more they feel comfortable and wanted and, and appreciated. And it's very frustrating, I understand, for a veterinarian because they're busy and they've only got a certain number of minutes to deal with this client and they don't want to spend the whole afternoon listening to that the pet owner talk about all the stories they would like to tell about their pet. So there's, there's got to be a happy medium, but we tend to err on rushing through and giving information before we've really built trust and built confidence in the pet owner. And so oftentimes the pet owner has the answer, like this woman with Fluffy. Yeah, she's got half the answer right there. Um, and we, we want to empower our pet owners to understand the whole picture and to have trust that they can tell the whole story. And then typically when people are heard, they're more likely to want to hear the other person. So we want to get to the point where the veterinarian, the, the pet owner is ready to hear what the veterinarian has to say. So it's, it's compliance, it's trust, it's information, um, and I, I think we have to look, look at the monetary, too. They're likely to return, and so we may have, have, have a lifelong client if we can build a, 
a relationship. You know, relationships and trust are so important. And there are veterinarians who can have a conversation with someone in 10 minutes and the person feels completely heard, respected, and understood. And then there's a veterinarian who could talk for 20 minutes and the client is just as dumbfounded as they were when they walked in. And I think that's where you come in um, to assist both veterinarians to speak to their clients in a way that really does set them at ease, uh, but even possibly talking to pet owners on how they can talk to veterinarians in a way that builds that trust and that respect both ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's two sides to the conversation. There's the listening and the speaking. And the listening really has to come first. And that's not as easy as we would think it is. Uh, but then when it's my turn, whether it's the client or the veterinarian to speak, we need to know how to speak so the other person will hear us. So we usually start out when we're working with those who are wanting to enhance their communication skills. We really talk about the listening piece and it's not just listening for information, but it's listening for feelings. And that's the hard part. Uh, people don't often say, well, I'm really upset or I'm really mad or I'm really worried, but it's in their tone of voice or in their body language that we understand that there's a feeling behind this particular piece of information that they're bringing me. And that's the hard part, to listen for the feelings as well as the words. You are so right because um, when we do mediations, it's about reflecting back the emotions you hear or you see that the person is reflecting to you that they may not be able to articulate. Yeah. Well, and reflecting is the other piece. It's, it's one thing, one, one difficult thing to hear the feelings, to, to understand what, what's coming through. The other piece is how do I reflect it back? And if I kind of hold an emotional mirror up and I say, you know, what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing is that you're worried about dot, 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 dot. Um, that's, that's the reflection. And that's not always as easy as it seems. Um, not only do I have to, first of all, hear it, but then I have to have the courage to be able to put those feelings into words. And I think a lot of people feel like they're, they're jumping into something that they maybe shouldn't, shouldn't jump into or they're not sure they're right. So if I say, well, it sounds to me like you're worried that Fluffy's not as active as he used to be. Um, I, I might be wrong, you know, they might not be worried at all. And, but the interesting thing is when I stay at a feeling level, the client can say, well, no, I'm not really worried. I'm da, 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 whatever it is they do feel, or not only am I worried, I'm staying up at night because it's bothering me. So, so they can come back with an, a correction uh, or an intensity or a denial and help us get right on the, on the back, on the right track. But the key is how do I reflect back once I've heard those, those feelings? And that's not easy, it takes some practice. There are certain tools I'm sure that you um, impart to your uh, clients and to people in general who are talking about animals because it is so important um, to understand that if someone tells you you're wrong, I loved when you said, I'm not worried, um, or I'm worried and I'm losing sleep, uh, to really 
say, well, I'm so glad you let me know you're worried, or I'm so glad you told me you weren't worried, but rather you're angry, or whatever the other feeling was. Because, you know, we have our own descriptions of what we're visualizing. And sometimes what we might visualize as worry could be any of a number of emotions in someone else's um, basket of words to use. So it's always really important, I loved when you said that, to reflect it back. And, and I think one of the tools that you probably use is, and don't be upset if you get it wrong. Exactly. One of the things that we often suggest is to use the skill of parroting. Just simply repeat what the person has said. And it seems so monotonous. But when people try it, they find out, wow, people really don't mind that I'm repeating word for word what they said. They're not thinking how monotonous it is. They're thinking, wow, I've been heard. And they, they have permission to go on to the next sentence and the next sentence. And I, and I say to people, well, if parroting just drives you crazy, we'll try paraphrasing. And paraphrasing is, is good because it gives us a chance to maybe reinterpret what we've heard and the other person can say, well, that's not quite exactly what I meant. And they can correct us. So there's a, a chance there to get on the same page. But um, it, it takes some time to listen to somebody else and put into words what we think they're really trying to tell us. You know, you're so right. Uh, and, and I know I say that a lot with my, my um, guests, that they're so right. Because when you are um, talking about why do pets matter, being able to um, reflect back to people what it is that makes the pet matter to them is key in really facilitating the conversation. Right. And when a, when a pet owner brings their pet to the pet hospital, it's obviously because they care about this pet and they want the best for the pet. So they have a lot of emotion stored up in the relationship with their pet. And I think that um, the whole human-animal bond is just fascinating. And veterinarians have to remember that they have a privileged opportunity to be part of that triangle. Because really, the pet owner and the pet spend a lot more time together than the veterinarian and the pet. And the veterinarian has to honor that, learn from it, feel the privilege of being a part of that, and really move into a partnership with the pet owner, which is a little bit different than the um, typical expert um, on, the, on the top. Uh, it's now a co-equal position. You have different roles, different expertise, but clearly the pet owner has a lot of information about that animal that the veterinarian doesn't have, and vice versa. And teasing that out of the owner in a way that really is helpful to the veterinarian is an art because you, as you said, rightfully, you know, you can't be in there for half an hour just asking 150 questions, trying to figure out what's going on. It's, it's really about asking those, well, tell me more. And, you know, you said this, give me a little more information about what you observed that made you say that. Um, because I think when you said the triangle, what a great way to set up the relationship because it is a triangle, it's the pet at the apex in my mind when I'm visualizing the triangle and then the, you know, the veterinarian and the, all the staff uh, and the pet owners um, really working together to make sure that the pet 
is well cared for. And, and that really is um, a privilege on everyone's part. It's a privilege for the, the pet owner to bring their pet to a veterinarian who respects them um, and who listens to them. And it's a privilege for a veterinarian to have repeat business. Exactly, exactly. Well, and, and as you have often pointed out, that there's more to this triangle than just those three. There's all the neighbors and the, and the other caregivers, the, the sitters, the groomers. Um, and they're all people who are part of this neighborhood of care for the animal. But, when, but we typically deal with just one at a time. And in each case, we need to be able to speak forthrightly about what our concerns are. And we have to be on the listening end of hearing what those concerns are. So one of the things we, we do also, um, well, let me finish talking about listening. What we're really talking about is empathy and how to with bring- a capital E. With a capital E, how to bring empathy into the, into the re relationship. So listening is one thing, but listening with empathy, which gets into the feelings is, is the real key. And there's power in that. Uh, it's just magic when, when I've seen people uh, move into that space with their children, with their partner, as well as with their colleagues and their clients. They see a transformation in the relationship and that the conversation can go in a different way. But then we got to also talk about how you speak up. And one of the things that is difficult is having to say something that's uncomfortable for someone else. And very often, it's tempting to preach or judge or lecture and the other person just can't hear us. They feel judged, they feel put down, they feel un unimportant. And so we need to find other ways to get information across. Um, part of it is, is having already established a trusting relationship, which we just talked about. But the other is looking for other ways of, of communicating information. There's so much that the veterinarian wants to tell and teach the client, but there's videos, there's models, there's pictures, um, there's time in the, in the waiting room instead of in the exam room, um, and we need to utilize all of those audiovisual aids to help people get learn very quickly and refer them to um, YouTubes and websites that we can trust so that they know where to find good information. Um, and then it's a matter of having the skill to speak forthrightly without judgment. And we typically talk about 10 different uh, roadblocks that, that can, can help, that can cause a stumble or um, difference of opinion before you've really resolved something. And it's important to hear ourselves, you know, am I in a blaming tone, tone and I'm, am I I'm in a judgmental tone? Um, am I being using name calling and I don't really mean to? Um, or maybe I do mean to and I don't realize what the, what the impact is of, of doing something, giving something a, a name that isn't flattering. Um, and so it's, it's useful just to hear ourselves. And if we can look at those roadblocks, those barriers, and then hear ourselves when the time comes, we're likely to be more careful uh, to avoid those and find other ways of communicating. You know, it's so 
important what you just said because it deals with our, the speaker's perspective and perception, and then the listener's perspective and perception. Because I had a veterinarian um, say that she was reprimanded by her boss because she held up her finger when she was listening to a cat's heart because the client kept talking and the client complained because that's what her mother used to do to her when she was a child. And when the veterinarian did that, it brought back so many negative connotations. Um, So you talk about judgment. This young veterinarian would never have known that. And yet just this one gesture created such a brouhaha. And she learned a great deal about different people's um, input um, taking, so to speak, you know, what you're saying and how I'm hearing it. And, and you were perfect when you said, we don't know really how they're hearing us or if they're hearing all of what we're saying or only part of what we're saying. And when you have to deliver information that's difficult um, making sure that they are really able to hear you in an effective way is is really an art. Yes, and are, are they ready to hear me? And am I able to speak from my research and from my heart rather than giving them a lecture? And apparently in this particular example that you had, that's a beautiful example, um, by moving into a judging or a blaming, uh, not only is it ineffective, but it raised a lot of red flags because she had this experience with her own child or with her own mother as a child. A lot of people have, and maybe that's why any, any judgment and any uh, blaming and shaming is very difficult to hear. It, it brings back the child in us that never liked that in the first place. And then... I was just going to say, one of the things that we do is sometimes give, give things an, a name, give somebody a name, like, oh, you're being lazy, or you're being um, inconsiderate, or you're being silly, or you're being um, careless. And, and sometimes that's said as, as a way of trying to get the other person to see themselves, but it doesn't usually work that way, because the person that's being tagged, just resist that. You know, I, I don't want to be told I'm lazy or silly or um, over, over concerned, even if it might be true. Um, that's not the way I'm, I'm going to accept that of, of myself. So th- those are the kinds of things we have to learn to avoid. And taking the time to ask people um, how they see their role in this conversation um, sometimes gives them the opportunity to say, well, I really don't feel I'm heard, or um, I really felt as if you gave me time to explain what's going on with Fluffy so that, you know, we got to the bottom of what the issue was without having to go through a lot of tests. Yeah, yeah. And there we're right back to giving the client more time to talk. Um, it typically saves us time in the long run, even though I think it's very frustrating to take that time up front. But I know it's, it's really it's it's not that long an amount of time, but it certainly seems like a long time when you're living it. But it really isn't. And as you just said, it sometimes makes the entire discussion revelation and um, prescription happen really quickly because you were able to understand the differences in the animal. And if a client is really adamant about what something is wrong and you, you as the doctor might know that it's not, 
you know, let it play out. You know, don't fight them because really it doesn't serve you. And if you explain to them, this is something I don't think is quite the issue, but if you'd like me to pursue it, I'm happy to pursue it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like playing out, I think that's a good term, but just talk about it. Say more. Give me what you're, what you're thinking. Where are you coming from? Um, how did you get to this point? And as a person begins to think out loud, they may in fact say, mm, well, now that I think about it, I see it a little differently. And you never know where a conversation is going to go. You, you really don't, especially if, as you said, you reflect back what the person's saying. And I know in my practice, a lot of times when I reflect back what they're saying, whether I paraphrase it or I use their exact words, when they hear it, they go, oh, my God, I don't want to sound like that person. And so they, they say, oh, no, that's not what I meant, which is great because then they self-correct and you didn't have to correct them. They self-corrected. I loved when you went into the human animal bond because, you know, we have a certain age over 21 um, have lived the life with dogs who were out in the backyard at a doghouse, um, and now know that pets are part of the family, companions, and sometimes um, fur babies, as the term is now being used, or my fur children. Uh, yeah. So that really does affect communication as well. It sure does. And uh, I think it just heightens the uh, importance of building that bond with, with the client. Uh, because people are seeing their pets as their children, and you you would if you, if they were bringing their two year old child, you might look at it differently, and that's exactly the way the veterinarian has to look at the client. There's a lot lot invested emotionally as well as financially in this pet, and that's it behooves the veterinarian to be honor be able to honor that. And I have found in my um, travels to veterinary clinics that sometimes veterinarians have a huge pushback when people refer to their animals as fur babies or my children, because, you know, they're clinical, they've gone to school, they've done all the research and, you know, they're not your child. Um, and they have a lot of pushback. And not that a client who truly feels this way about their um, animal is going to stay with that veterinarian very long. But how can veterinarians who really have an issue with that language um, work with themselves so that they can find language that serves them to retain the client um, and allows the client to feel heard even though they might not um, hold the same um, feeling about animals being part of children? Well, I mean, it's interesting because the reverse can be said too. Um, I remember talking to a veterinarian one time who said, uh, there are some clients that come in, their, their pet is, their, is a commodity, and they don't want to spend extra time and resources to keep the, the animal healthier and alive. And she said, I just have to understand there's a whole continuum of care. There are people who would regard their clients, their, their pets, their children, and they will spend anything, anything to keep them healthy and alive. And at the extreme other end, there are some who say, you know, if this, this animal is going to be a burden to me, financially or otherwise, it's time to let the pet go and move on. And then there's all the, all the things in between. And I think it's difficult for veterinarians to appreciate that there are clients who come from different 
places and how to honor where they come from um, because they bring their own. And no judgment. That's the hardest thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we're in, actually, the, the veterinarian's in business. And as a business, you want to respect your your customers, your clients, in terms of what their needs are and where they are going, even though at the same time you're trying to educate them and help them maximize the relationship they have with their pets. But you know, they're customers, and the custom, customer's always right. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> they are, and sometimes veterinarians really have a hard time um, when they can help an animal, not helping an animal, uh, because of either the cost or the beliefs of the owner. And um, I think that there's that freedom that's questioned a great deal of the time, that freedom to make a decision that's questioned a great deal of the time. And uh, I, I actually am writing an article for the New York State Bar Association on uh, people who are putting in their wills uh, that they should euthanize uh, their pets uh, when they pass instead mm -hmm. of finding them a new home. And a lot of the animal advocates say this is a travesty. And I said, yes, but, but they really feel as if the animal will not have as good a home with anybody else, which may or may not be true. And if you can't find anybody, then we have another dog going into a shelter. So, you know, if the dog's 11 years old or the dog is five years old, it's, it's a question. Well, you know, we've come a long way in terms of our attitude toward animals. Uh, and there still are people who have animals on farms and the animals are there to be useful. They're utilitarian. And when they're no longer useful, that's, they no longer need that property. And there's still that mentality and there's still that reality. So the, the veterinarian has to be aware of the fact that where the, where the customers or the client is coming from can be very different. Whether it's a pet that sleeps in the bedroom with them or it's a dog that's always outside. Yeah, or hurting, hurting those sheep. Hurting those sheep, that's right. And if he can't hurt the sheep, well, we don't need him anymore. That's right, so absolutely. That's, that's reality. I know. Well, Carolyn, we are coming to the end of time, but I wanted to wrap up with the three things that we started with at the beginning of this delightful discussion, which was why are interpersonal skills so important and the benefits of interpersonal skills. And you gave us some great how-to skills. So why don't we wrap it up? Why are interpersonal skills so important? Um, my notes say that because it builds trust and it builds um, the ability to have a conversation. What are your thoughts on why interpersonal skills are so important? Oh, yeah, I think we can see lots of things. Building trust then turns into improved compliance. It turns into a returning uh, relationship, an ongoing relationship. It's, it also means a lot of pleasure. And I think there's confidence. Um, when people have a sense that they know what the communication skills they need, they feel more confident in establishing a relationship. So lots, lots of benefits that go right along with all the knowledge of healthcare, which is so essential to the profession as well. Yep, and the skills were perfect. So we asked the question, can you tell me more? And then we do a lot more listening than talking. Yeah, we've got two ears and one mouth. <laughs> and God gave us those for a reason, for sure. Yeah. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much. You know I'll be having you back because this conversation I think will be so advantageous to my listeners. And 
it really is about taking the time to um, learn how to have interpersonal skills with communication um, that foster good communication. And that's what you brought to my podcast today, and I'm so grateful. Well, we'll talk again about some other aspects of it. This has been a pleasure. Thanks, Deborah. Well, thank you, Carolyn. This is Deborah Hamilton, host of Why Do Pets Matter? Thanks for being here. You've been listening to the podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. Do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover? Write me at hamiltonlawandmediation.com or email me at whydopetsmatterpodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.